Amen. So, um, good pick of songs. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I got some things I want to share this morning, but mostly I was, uh, the message I want to share with you, I really believe is kind of, is, is leaning towards a prophetic message uh, for our church and our ministry and so on and so forth. So uh, I'm going to do a couple of things I haven't, haven't done before. I'm going to take two stories and put them together and show you where they're on common ground. They look, they're two separate, look like two separate in the Bible, and we'll bring them together this morning. I want to, before I do that, I want to share some things with you. The Lord's been placing on my heart uh, this week as I was in prayer. One of the things that says, we come from a position of strength that happens through an attitude of surrendering to God, uh, to God's purpose and not ours. I'm going to say it again. We're coming from a position of strength. Understand something. When you go into prayer... You're not coming from your position or your abilities. You're coming from a position of strength. You understand that, right? Okay, so, so this is what we preach. Uh, uh, when we're about God's business and doing His, His purposes for our life, and, and that takes in our whole life of what, what we do, not just going to church, but takes in our whole life, then we are coming from a position of strength. Um, my wife and I, we've been married for 52 years. Uh, we've um, served the Lord 37, 38 years, something like that. I've been just in Key West for the last 33 years. Now, do you think with all that and all the things I've preached and all the countries that I've been to around the world, you think the devil just laid down and stayed out of our way? <laughs> you think that, you got another thing coming. We've had some of the most challenging things, some of the most heartbreaking things happen in the ministry. But imagine this, with all the stuff that has come against us over the years and all the things that have that have, that have uh, tried to hurt us and all the different things, uh, all of the enemy trying to get us to quit. We never would quit. And that has built a, has built a strength and has built a character. Character doesn't come by your own strength. You build character by obeying God through obedience to, the, to, to what he has told you to do and, and so on and so forth. Now, not everybody's called to be a preacher. I understand that. And uh, you, you could be working in a of any kind of industry, but that doesn't matter. The Bible calls you salt, right? Jesus said when salt loses its ability to flavor or loses its savory, he said it's good for nothing but to be trodden underfoot. Another thing about salt, how many use salt on their food? Amen? When you put salt on your food, don't you sprinkle across all the food? What good is it if you just put a little pile in the corner of your plate and then eat your food? It doesn't mix in. God has purposed you as salt to mix in with the world that we live in here today to change it. Understand why you didn't go to heaven as soon as you accepted Jesus is God has us here to influence the world. It's a shame that the church had turned religious and that lets the world influence them. Uh, trying to do what's, what makes the world happy. What we should be doing is doing what the, makes the Heavenly Father happy. Amen? And going out and changing the world. We're in this world for a purpose, to change it. Don't like it? Change it. And change it for the better, for the things of God. Amen? And that's basically what he's, my call was when, he first, when I first came to Key West. So I'm going to say this again. We come from a position of strength. Don't look for weakness. Don't look at your problems. Amen? I shared this with the, with the leadership in the war room this morning. I said, here's what we're going to, this, this, is, this is a commitment God laid this on my heart this week also. I said, we're going to stop living in reaction to the devil. I said, as far as me, a leader of this church, 
this church, we are going to stop living in reaction to the devil. That's good advice. And the devil has no right, I said this too, to the, the devil has no right to influence my agenda. My agenda is to serve Christ and to do it the way he wants it done according to his word. The devil has no right to interfere with my agenda that Christ has given me. He has no right to interfere. He's not going to get a right. Amen? Amen. So praise the Lord. We're not going to be focused on what, uh, we're going to stop living in reaction to what the devil's doing. Oh, this is so bad. And oh, this is really evil. Baloney. Okay, the thing is, God is still on the throne. He always will be on the throne. Because you don't see what you want to see in the earth doesn't mean God fell asleep. Amen. Amen. The truth of the matter is, God keeps a lot of stuff in secret until it's time to be revealed. You know why? Because ministers like myself go out and write books and take all the credit before he and, and, and share the plans to the enemy before he even uh, gets a chance to operate in it. A lot of stuff God has... Listen, if you're a Christian... Get used to it. Learn to live with a little bit of mystery in your life. You're not going to know everything. And you don't have to know everything just to be obedient. Well, that's, that's, I'll take that amen, that one single one in the back there someplace. Praise the Lord. And, but that's the truth. Amen. He's our Lord. We're not His. So I just went, okay, I feel better now. I got all that out. So <laughs> let's get into the scriptures this morning. But, um, uh, um, Another thing, to, just to the title, Believing and Doing the Impossible, just to catch you up, I've been sharing, uh, I shared some of this stuff last week, um, but just to catch you up, uh, you know, everything that Jesus asked the disciples to do, or no, let me rephrase that. Everything Jesus commanded the disciples to do was basically impossible. For instance, I shared with you last week, I says, he said there was a, a 5,000, feeding the 5,000, Actually, if you read the scriptures, you'll find it was only 5,000 men. The rest of the people would have been closer to 10 to 15,000 people in attendance at that meeting. And the disciples said, Jesus is getting late. He says, they've been here all day. He said, listen to you speak. He said, let's send them home so they can get something to eat. And Jesus turned around and said, you feed them. Well, what do you have to offer? Well, all we got is a little boy's lunch. That's all the food they had was, was loaves and fishes. How can we do that? In other words, the task that you can just commanded us is impossible. How many would agree? Yeah. I mean, five loaves and two fishes are not going to feed uh, 15,000 people. If you made microscopic crumbs, <laughs> it wouldn't be enough to spread across that many people. And Jesus says, you feed them. Yeah. Amen. Why does he do that? Because basically he knows to get that particular assignment accomplished, we have to go back to him. We cannot cut him out of, the, out of the picture. We have to go back to him to get that assignment done. So that's what I'm saying about the impossible. We get to do the impossible because of Christ. They fed the 5,000. Not only did they feed the 5,000, uh, 5, which was about 15,000, no, did they feed all those people. They had 12 baskets left over. Because what they didn't ask Jesus to do, what are we going to do for the next three days? Because we're, we're going to be in transition in the next three days. What are we going to do with it? And Jesus said, see, he, he had that covered even before they asked for it. They had 12 baskets of food left over from after feeding the, feeding the multitudes. And what did they do? What was it for? Each basket was for one disciple for a three-day ration of food that they have for the next three days. 
And then what did Jesus do after that? He did it again. <laughs> to the 7,000. So anyway, so um, praise the Lord. So this is the things that, that, that Christ has shown us. In other words, so that's where my title comes from, Believing and Doing the Impossible. When God first called me to Key West, I thought it was impossible. To last here 33 years, unthinkable. But yet, here I am. <laughs> and uh, uh, I preached the gospel on five different continents from Key West. Uh, uh, we've ministered to over probably five to 6,000 people passing through our church at any given time uh, uh, and, and spread the gospel all around. Uh, not only that, we've even seen in our daycare uh, uh, or the second and third generation. Uh, all this stuff happening. Okay, uh, in, it's amazing. I, I remember it hit me. Um, I went to, I think it was my grandson's graduation, and I'm standing at his graduation in the auditorium of the high school over in Key West, and um, I look up, and, and my wife is saying, do you remember that person there? Unplatformed, ready to graduate. I says, no, I don't think I do. They started in our center as an infant <laughs> when we first opened the door, and there, here it was. All of a sudden, I started feeling older. <laughs> I don't know why, but, but these are the things that, that God has done. The things that people said were impossible, we were actually doing at the time. Amen. You can't do that in Key West. You can't have that thing in Key West. Well, I want to I share some things, two, two stories I'm putting together this morning. I've always, I preached them separately, but I want to put them together this morning. Amen? Understand this about doing the impossible. Declaring something to be impossible can also be an excuse for our lack of involvement. That, that okay? That didn't hurt too much, did it? Should I say it again? Okay, praise the Lord. Somebody said yes. Declaring something to be impossible can, can be an excuse for our lack of involvement. Amen? If I had listened to everybody who told me this is impossible, this is impossible, this is impossible, we wouldn't have anything done. But you can imagine, I, I should write a list sometime of all the things that people told me was impossible that we, we are accomplishing right now. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. The seats that you're sitting in right now, people told us this is impossible. How's that? You can't have a daycare on, a, on this part of the island. Uh, it's impossible. Amen. It will just fail. You can't have a church like this that preaches the word. It's impossible. Amen? But yet here we are. <laughs> and, uh, and not only that, did God give me the, the, ch the church here? He also said, I'm giving you an international vision also. He says, keep your visions and your times open. So I have permission of the Lord uh, to literally go to other countries uh, and, and so on and so forth. Of course, I listen to him when I do that. I just don't hop on an airplane. That's foolishness. Uh, but I, I, I go according to his leading. Amen? Two men in the Bible. I'm going to get to the first one this morning. Mark chapter 10, if you want to turn in your Bible there. I'm going to talk about, uh, how many has ever heard the story of Barnabas? Well, listen again, because you probably haven't heard it like you're going to hear it this morning. Amen? I'm going to pull out some things of Barnabas. Barnabas, uh, uh, I'll give you some, some cultural things. Both, I'm going to talk about Barnabas, is in Mark chapter 10, I'm going to talk about Zacchaeus. How many ever heard of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19? Do you know both of these men have something in common? One was a blind beggar, of course the other was a rich tax collector. So what do they have in common? They both lived in Jericho. 
Let me give you some history of the town so you understand some of the scriptures. Because if you read in Luke, uh, um, in Luke 18, you'll also have around the same time, the same trip that Jesus, it's actually the same trip. Uh, it'll say something like this. It'll say it happened uh, when he came near Jericho, the blind man sat by the road begging. Of course, he got healed and so on and so forth. You say, well, that's Barnabas. No, it's not. Okay, if you read in Matthew, Matthew chapter 20, he says something now. He said, now as they went out from Jericho, as a great multitude followed him, and there was two blind men, and Jesus healed them both. If you look at those three scriptures, you would look like they're contradictory to one another, because then Mark talks about, in chapter 10, talks about Barnabas, who was a single blind fellow who Jesus healed. Okay, one thing, if you, don't, if you, didn't, if you read it too fast, if you didn't pick up Luke, I'll do that one first. Luke says, as Jesus, uh, is, is, uh, it says, as he was coming near Jericho. In other words, as he was approaching Jericho, there was a blind man he healed. If you read about Barnabas, he was leaving Jericho and he got healed. Amen? Uh, the two other men that Matthew mentioned were, were the same time that Barnabas got healed. So it was more than just one man healed. You know, so why did Mark, I'm I, I thinking about this, why did Mark just single out Barnabas? It's an interesting fact about Barnabas. Nobody else had, had a name according to the scriptures. They didn't, they didn't put the name down, but Barnabas, they did put his name down. Why? Because Barnabas, as far as Mark is concerned, stood out from the other ones that got healed that were also blind. Why is that? Well, because let's take his name. If you don't know Hebrew, you don't understand this stuff, but the fact is uh, uh, Bartimaeus. Uh, uh, Bartimaeus. Bar in Hebrew means son. So basically his name was son of Timaeus. Okay? Uh, uh, bat is for a girl, bar is for a boy. Okay, so if you have a bar misfa. You have the mitzvah is the covering, uh, uh, the, the, the duty of a covering, you know, all, all the terminology for that. But the fact is, bar means for a boy. Well, not to be outdone by the boys, they, uh, the Israelis come up with a newer term called bat mitzvah, and they do the same thing for the girls. It's not in their law or scripture, but they, they had to be all inclusive. So, <laughs> so bat is a girl, and uh, bar is a girl. So here we have Bartimaeus. This is the son of Timaeus. The only reason Mark would bring that out, okay, he was blind. You think we're going to focus on the miracle? No. We're also focusing on the background of Bartimaeus because to use that Bartimaeus means that at one time he was a prominent being. He was very prominent. In other words, he was a man of, of, of stature. He was the son of. You don't put the in, inclusive son of unless that of is a, is a great man. Okay? So basically it was bringing out how this great individual somehow re became blind and now is reduced to a beggar. The Jericho is about 15 miles northeast of Jerusalem. At the time of Jesus, it was a great uh, uh, hangout for the very wealthy. It was kind of like... Um, Key West. <laughs> well, anyway, you know, it, it, was, it was big, rich homes and all this other stuff. Matter of fact, how many remember uh, uh, um, Herod the Great, the, who was in power when Jesus was born, where he had all the babies killed? Herod the Great had a, had a other palace in Jericho. 
Of course, you know the history of Jericho. Jericho had fallen when Joshua came in. It was the first city that God had commanded uh, to take over and so on and so forth. There was a curse upon the city if they rebuilt it. Of course, uh, 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 it was uh, Ahab and Jezebel had to put that to the test, and they found out that that curse was still viable 500 years later. But then what happens, the curse was lifted and they rebuilt the Jer Jericho, not in the same format as a fortress that Joshua said, but they did, and it became a very prominent place. Why? Because it's warm in temperature and lots of running water. So that made it a perfect spot for this place, Jericho. It was on the way Jesus was going to Jerusalem. What was Jesus doing there? He was on his way to make his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on that uh, uh, Palm Sunday morning, <laughs> as we call it, celebrate it, and that's what he was doing. This would be the last opportunity Jericho would ever see, see Jesus in that format again. This would be Barnabas' last, last ditch effort because Jesus was going on his way to be crucified. In Mark chapter 10, if you want to follow along with me, in Mark chapter 10, verse 46, it says, Now they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, see it's right there, it says it, son of Timaeus, sat up, sat by the road begging. Now they weren't allowed in the city, a prominent city. In Jewish culture, you are commanded by the law of Moses to take care of those who cannot work. So basically, they have a right to begotry, but there's some, uh, but uh, you'll, you'll, I'll t teach about uh, Barnabas's coat, okay, because that basically, that coat gave him the right to beg, and he could sit out there. He was legal, but they didn't want him in the city because it was a, a prominent city. They wanted him outside the city, so he'd be outside uh, the city limits, uh, uh, along with other people poor people that can't work. He couldn't work because he was blind. There'd be crippled people there or whatever. And, and, and basically, this was with, they were out to beg. A prominent man, of course, he would be coming into the city. He probably didn't get to enjoy the pleasures of the city or whatever has to offer, would be able to put his uh, money into the beggar. So it was good, it's a good spot, in other words, to, to hit people up for money. Uh, um, so, so anyway, uh, uh, he's on the road begging. And when he heard, this is what he heard. He couldn't see, so he heard. He heard Jesus, it was Jesus of Nathers, he began to cry out, in other words, to speak out loud. And this is what he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Okay? Then many in the crowd uh, uh, turned and warned him to be quiet. In other words, shut your mouth. So this is what they told him. But he cried out all the more, son of David, son of David, why was he crying out, son of David, have mercy on me, son of David? What was he saying, son of David? Jesus wasn't son of David. That was Solomon was the son of David. Uh, uh, um, you know, Absalom was the son of David. The son of David was a term only used for the coming Messiah because the Messiah would be born out of the lineage of the house of David. To say that, Bartimaeus was saying, he was saying, that is the Messiah. I'm hearing about Jesus and the things he's doing. That's the Messiah. And that's what made people mad. Because he called them the son of David. They didn't care if, there's lots of people shouting and screaming at Jesus. I mean, everywhere Jesus went, there was an entourage of people that were cheering or doing something. What about when he went into Jerusalem uh, uh, riding on a donkey? That would happen right after this. 
Didn't they cheer? And they laid down coats and palms. So people were welcome. So that wasn't the big deal. But they were crying out, son of David. I've got a guess on who those people were. It was the religious leaders of the crowd saying, shut up. We don't want to hear that. Because the religious leaders didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Amen? So he cries out. And he cries all. What does he do? I like this. He says, they warned him to be quiet. But listen to what it says. But he cried out all the more. The next time somebody tells you to shut up about Jesus, say it louder. And use slow, single-syllable words so they can understand. (laughs) But this is what I'm talking about. To shut up or to allow the crowds to press in and to oppress the things that we... This is going to be blind Bartimaeus's last shot at eyesight. He does, probably doesn't realize that or know that, but we know that from reading the scriptures. This is going to be his last... Jesus is passing through once and it's going to be over. And as far as he knows, he's on his way out the city because basically he's on the, on the exit of the city. So there, there it is. He says, so Jesus stood. And listen to this. Bartimaeus is crying. Son of David, have mercy on me. He's only asking for mercy. He's not asking for anything else, just mercy. Son of David, Messiah... Let me put it that way. Messiah, have mercy on me. Messiah, have mercy on me. He was a believer in the Messiah, number one. He wasn't just trying something. He was a believer. And one of the things that he heard about Jesus, he was a believer that Jesus was the Messiah, and he wouldn't shut up about it no matter how many people wanted him to shut up. And he kept crying out and crying out. Now, listen what Jesus' response. This is interesting because you don't see this a lot. Jesus is walking down the road with his disciples. Bartimaeus is back here someplace and he's shouting. We know Jesus walked past him because the next thing Jesus does is he stops. Why does he stop? Listen, it says right here, it says, and he says, um, he says, have, have mercy upon me, uh, son of David, you know, have mercy upon me. So Jesus stood still and commended him to be called. That means he commanded him to be brought to him. Are you, are you following this? Now, he's right there within earshot. Wouldn't it just be simple to walk over here? Okay, here, what, what you need? Okay, let me just pray for him and be on his way. But he didn't do that. Jesus has a reason for doing everything he's doing, and there was a purpose behind this. So what happens, Jesus heard him. Son of David, have mercy upon me. He stopped. He looked. And he commanded, who did he command? His disciples, go get that guy and bring him to me. There are situations where Jesus is over there. We're over here needing him. We're expecting him to come to us, but there might be that position or there might be that time. We got to go to him. We got to go to the things of, we got to go where Jesus is at. He's begging us to be where he's at. Not at our convenience to go with him. Now, this man couldn't even see. He was blind, and Jesus expected him to come to where he was at in his blind state. But what happened? Over here, he's a beggar. Over here, he's going to get his sight, and his life is going to change in a moment. The Bible says this. It says, when he got up, his coat fell to the ground. That says it all right there. 
you got to understand something about a coat. A coat in covenant terms is a symbol of a person who's in covenant is a symbol of the person themselves. I kind of think it's interesting when you look at military people. Uh, for instance, uh, 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 Gina's got her uniform on, okay? Well, don't have a coat. She's Coast Guard, and it's, and it's <laughs> tropics. But the uniform, you take one look at that uniform, you can tell her rank, her pay grade, and everything by one, one, one glance, correct? Okay. Back then, the coat did the same thing. You can tell a man's stature. You can tell his pay grade. You tell everything about his coat. In, in a covenant ritual, they would exchange coats with a person who they were covenant with. This is my person and all the things that I have. I give you my coat and you give me your coat, whatever it is. And it became a symbol. When Barnabas got up, his coat fell to the ground and he walked away from it. Because that coat of Barnabas was a beggar's coat. In other words, when I leave this place, I'm not going to be a beggar because this Messiah has just called me over there, and I know as soon as I go, I'll get there somehow, but as soon as I go, I know it's going to change. My entire life is going to change. I'm not going back to that coat. I'm not going back to that life. I'm done with it. And this is what we have to understand. When Jesus calls us to him, he wants us to leave it behind and go to him. Praise the Lord. Amen. That's what we're talking about. His coat was his person. He let it fall to the ground. And of course, he had to be led. He couldn't see. The disciples led him over to Jesus. Jesus asked the obvious question that he asked all of us today. What do you want me to do for you? Isn't it obvious? Isn't it obvious? No. Because there are people that are blind, they can't see past the end of their nose, but they might ask him for money. There are people that have uh, all kinds of other difficulties, but they're going to pray and intercede for somebody else when they come across Jesus. Scores of things, I'm not saying right or wrong, I'm saying scores of things would happen, because they, but they tend to overlook the blindness of themselves. How can you pray for somebody when you got more blindness than they got, spiritually speaking? But if Barnabas could get his sight back, that's okay, all I need, Lord, give him my sight. His life will change forever. It'll be the same. Keep in mind that when I was going over this this week, God was giving this to me as a prophetic message. How all these details are going to work in, I don't know. But you'll see it come together when I talk about Zacchaeus. Amen? Amen? But again, the crowd. Who is the crowd? Let me, let me establish that at the beginning of this message. Who is the crowd? The crowd is the one that will keep you from your blessing. I don't care who they are. I don't care what they call themselves. They keep you from Christ. They keep you from getting to Christ. They are the enemy. Amen. They're not God's friend, and they're not a servant of the Lord. I feel better. Thank you. No, I'm not angry this morning. I woke up and feel pretty good. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. So the Lord answers, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man says to him, Rabboni. Now he changes it. It's not son of David, Rabboni, rabbi, teacher, master. That's what it means. He says that I may receive my sight. And Jesus says this. 
He says, go your way. <laughs> he couldn't go his way before. He had to be led wherever he went. Couldn't see. All of a sudden, one encounter with Jesus, just one encounter, he now comes from a, he comes from a, a position of strength. He says, now go your way. You don't need anybody to lead you anymore. You don't need a CNI dog. He says, go your way. And listen to this. He says, your faith has made you well. Jesus took no credit of him coming. He went through his obedience. He cast off his coat. He did everything. And he, came, got to, he got to Jesus, even though he couldn't see him. He scrambled around. He got to Jesus. Now Jesus says, now go your way. Live your life. Isn't that amazing? He didn't go back to the coat. He didn't go back to begging. He has a whole brand new life. Whatever he'd done before as a seeing man, he can do again and then more because now he knows some things. You don't sit outside of Jericho and not learn about people. You don't learn and hear and, and, uh, what people are doing. They, they don't care. They'll talk freely amongst beggars because they can't do nothing about it anyway. So they'll talk freely. Now this seeing man has a whole new lease on life because of Christ. Now, the son of Timaeus, again, is going to rise up and be the son of Timaeus of prominence. Okay? And guess what? Jesus is the Messiah, <laughs> as far as he is concerned. He said, son of David, and son of David responded. He is the Messiah. Are you here? Entire change of life. Amen? It's hard uh, to still, it's hard to be still when Jesus is close by. It's hard to be still. I, um, my wife and I, you know, I go, we go diving every week, and we, that's one of our, our recreational sports. We love it. I, deep diving, wreck diving is what I like. I love more wrecks the better. And um, don't wrecks all over the world, just about. But uh, we, we, we go diving. We, we hang around with people that aren't Christians. They all know that I'm a pastor. I go with the same company all the time. And they know that I'm a pastor. And I listen to the conversations blind, blinder than Barnabas, because that's what the world wants to do is keep you in blindness. Because as soon as you get the sight and the realization. But you know what? I have never, ever going on that dive boat or any other dive boat where they knew I'm a pastor, know what I do for a living, know what, what, I, uh, uh, you know, what I believe. Nobody's ever telling me to shut up about Jesus. But however, the church. Well, we don't do that stuff where I come from. I mean, our, our, our church didn't do that stuff. I don't know. I think he's just, oh, tone that down, Pastor. Uh, tone this down. That's, that's another nice word of saying, shut up. <laughs> this is me shutting up. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Where were you when my family was making the sacrifices so we could get the key west and preach the gospel of God's word? Where were you? Where were you when the lady came in who was demon-possessed and we set her life free and she just sat there and cried almost the whole service because she was so happy and so set free? Where were you? Where were you when the Spirit of the Lord came in and everybody started going down under the power? Where were you then? Amen, oh critic. 
See, the crowds aren't necessarily the world. I don't want you to be afraid of the world. The world should be afraid of us. Okay, if, any, if anything, or the devil should be. I should put it that way. Amen. The world needs help. They're crying out for love more than you think. We cover it up by the macho and the other, other you know, antics that we go through. But the fact is, and the, 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 they're begging for somebody like Jesus to come and bail them out. Amen. And bail them out. Amen? Amen. But now, the persecution that we suffer as Christians is very seldom in the world. Nobody's going to get fired because they go to church. Nobody's going to get fired because they serve Jesus. But you can be ostracized by coming in some of these religious knucklehead churches. And because you said something or do something, we don't quite believe in our doctrine. You can be cast aside and thrown out. Booyah. Praise the Lord. That's the crowds. That's trying to silence you and keep you from the growth in Christ that Christ wants to bring. That's as gentle as I can go with that one. Praise the Lord. Amen. So when I look at the crowds, Bartimaeus wasn't about to let the opportunity to receive his sight pass by. Bartimaeus had refused to be silent. Amen. And there's times when Jesus, we just have to be where Jesus is at. Jesus isn't going to come to where we're at. It's amazing. I don't know why he did that. We don't, we don't know why. Uh, but Jesus, I mean, uh, there's times where, okay, the woman I shared last week with the issue of blood. She had her, her mind set up on how she was going to do something. It wasn't even biblical. I mean, it wasn't anti-biblical, but it wasn't extra-biblical. I mean, it was extra-biblical. It was, there, was no, there was no law that says, okay, if you can just touch the hem of the Messiah's garment, you'll be healed. There's nothing that said that. But she started a movement. But what did she do? She went where Jesus was at. People are expecting Jesus to be where they're at. Jesus isn't required to bless your plan. <laughs> or mine, for that matter. Amen? Are we getting anything out of this? Oh, praise the Lord. Let me, get, let me hurry along and get, get to Zacchaeus. But, um, praise the Lord. Zacchaeus and Jesus. This is interesting. Um, in Luke chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Jesus entered and passed through. This is the idea that he was passing through Jericho, okay? And the fact is, he was not planning on staying. The word pass through means he wasn't planning on staying there. He was just going to keep on moving. Basically, of course, because he went out of the city, uh, outside the city, he ran across Barnabas. So we could say probably Zacchaeus was the thing that came first. Uh, in, his, in his location. But the fact is they're all in Jericho. Uh, Zacchaeus is a different person. Zacchaeus isn't like uh, Bartimaeus. Uh, Zacchaeus is not blind. Zacchaeus, he had one physical uh, thing about him and it wasn't really a, 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 it wasn't really a handicap. It's just, he was just short, the Bible says. That's it. But he was very, very wealthy. So wealthy, let me put it in terms that maybe we can understand better. If you have wronged anybody in a business deal, intentionally or unintentionally, can you give them four times back what you stole? Four times. Zacchaeus could. Amen? 
Well, let me go ahead and read the story. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Jesus entered, passed through, indicating he wasn't going to stay. He passed through Jericho. Now, behold, there was a man by the name of Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. When the Bible says you're rich, you're rich. Okay? That's it. It's right there, rich. R-I-C-H. He's rich. Amen? And verse 3, it says, And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd. Here's the crowd again. Where is this crowd? If we could just get this crowd out of the way, we can have a free path to Jesus. Isn't it something? There's always a crowd to block us from Jesus. Seems to be. Uh, uh, but anyway, praise the Lord. And he sought to see Jesus, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short stature. He was short. Amen? And all the short people in Covenant Word Church said, Amen. Amen. Uh, more than I thought. Hallelujah. <laughs> all right, praise the Lord. All the short people, yeah, we're short. Uh, so he, listen to this. Now tell me what's wrong with this verse. So he ran ahead. He climbed up a sycamore tree. Uh, not sycamore tree like we know here. Actually, a sycamore tree was a sycamore fig. It was a fig tree. Uh, very popular in Israel. It's a common tree in Israel. Anyway, and climbed up a sycamore tree uh, to see him, to see Jesus. For he was going past by that way. So he calculated Jesus is going to come this way. If I run this way, get the first tree, climb up the tree, and there I am. Praise the Lord. And I'll be in position above all the heads of these tall people. <laughs> And I'll be able to get a fix on Jesus. What was he looking for? I just want to see the guy. I want to see him. Here's this wealthy man. His garments probably cost more than a year's salary that he's wearing. And he's willing to run. He's short already. So this is going to be quite, a, quite an, you know, an obvious uh, 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 clown appearance here. Uh, uh, and he's running very undignified, and he climbs up with his expensive robes and stuff, and he climbs up to the top of this tree just so he can get a visual of Jesus. He don't care what it costs him. He don't care what people say. I just want to see him. Isn't it kind of the opposite of Barnabas? Barnabas couldn't see him until after he met Jesus. Amen. <laughs> I love this part. I really do. This story really is something else. So he looked up and he saw him and said, this is Jesus now. Let me, let me back up. It went too fast. He says, okay, uh, as he climbed up the sycamore tree, sycamore fig tree, he said, to see him, for he was going past that way. Verse 5, then when Jesus came to that place where he, he estimated, he estimated where he's going to cross, he, he was right, Jesus was going to cross there. But Jesus did one better. He said, he said, Jesus looked up and saw him in the tree. <laughs> so this, this guy you want to get a hold of, look at, this guy who's been doing miracles, and, and, and you know, he comes along, and he's walking like a rabbi. I mean, this guy, uh, Jesus has dignity, and he looks up to this guy, and here's this guy who's a prominent, uh, a very rich person, looking very, very undignified. Did I say very, very undignified? <laughs> He's hanging on the limbs, <laughs> trying to get a view. And here comes Jesus, walks up to Zacchaeus. 
in that predicament? Have you ever been in a silly situation and all of a sudden that's when Jesus picked the time to come up <laughs> and introduce himself? <laughs> when you look more ridiculous, you're not in your strong point. You don't have your, your tax collector book where you can have people put in prison and all this other stuff. You don't have the power. All you're doing is just curious George here just looking up say, where is he? Where is he? There he is. There he is. Hallelujah. There he is. And, and here I am. This doesn't look good. <laughs> now listen to this. He looks up and he's, Jesus came to the place. He looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, he even knows, knows his name. Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. <laughs> For today I must stay in your house. All Zacchaeus wanted to do was see him. Now, all of a sudden, he's got another problem. Jesus is the honored guest in his home. You don't just have somebody just drop by and give them cheese and crackers. I mean, this is, no, they, there has to be planning. Uh, uh, this is a, a man of great stature. He's famous all over the country. I have to, I'm a man of, of, of well means. I have to show my well means by bringing him in. Uh, there's a story that I tell you about the threshold covenant uh, that, that, that happened over in Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia still goes by a threshold covenant. What it is is basically if you have an honored guest come to your home, you sacrifice something that is dear to you at the doorway before they come in. When they cross over the threshold covenant, covenant they are actually part of the family. They are coming in and your house becomes their house. They can do whatever they want. It's not just a visit. That's what they believed in that culture. So uh, imagine, you know, Zacchaeus is thinking about this. Matter of fact, that, that story that I read uh, about this Saudi Arabia guy, he had a prize Arabian horse that was a stallion, that was a, a breeding stock. And he, brought, he had the horse led up in front of his doorstep. He slit his throat, and that became the offering. And the dignitary came across the blood of that horse, his most prized possession that he had. He sacrificed for the, for the honor of the dignitary to come in his house. That's how it is in the Middle East. Amen? So basically, Jesus being the dignitary, he wouldn't, I don't know if he, he didn't practice, the Bible doesn't say that he did a, a threshold covenant, but there has to be some kind of preparation for such a man as Jesus to be able to give him honor. Otherwise, you become dishonored if you can't give proper honor. Amen? That's what they believed back then. Now, we don't hear any of this in the Bible. I'm just giving you some of the background culture. It had nothing to do with that. But when Jesus said, come down for this today, not tomorrow, today, I must stay at your house. Remember what I said at the approach of this, Jesus wasn't planning on staying. He was planning on passing through. Jesus changed his mind because somebody had a desire just to see him. Amen. What does that tell the church today? Well, let's, let's bring this up to today. If we can get a desire to see Jesus, the, the, to, 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 to experience him, where two or three are gathered in, our, in my he said, I'm there in the presence. If we can just press into his presence... What would he do? What would Jesus do? What would we do? Jesus, we wouldn't care what anybody, I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care what anybody says. Because when Jesus does that, we're hooked onto life itself. 
Zacchaeus doesn't know what to do, so he begins to run off at the mouth. That's what I call it. Praise the Lord, my take on this thing. He says, he says, verse 7, it says, but when he saw it, they all complained, saying, this is, this is the crowd again. He's looking. He's going to sit down with sinners. He's a chief for sinners. Tax collectors were hated because they worked for the Roman government, though they were Jews. Amen? So the crowd, here they go again, crowd complained, saying he had gone to get be a guest with this man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, the Lord did not prompt this. Zacchaeus came up with this idea. This is what Zacchaeus says. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I have half of my goods to the poor. I'll give half of my goods, half of what I have to the poor. He doesn't have the threshold covenant. He doesn't have it. So to honor the Lord, I'm going to take half of everything that I own and I'm going to give it to the poor. Do you remember the rich young ruler that Jesus asked? Sell all that you have, give it to the poor, come follow me. The invitation for discipleship. And the guy hung his head and walked away because he was very wealthy. Well, so was Zacchaeus very wealthy. So, but he had an attitude of not deserving. I don't deserve any of this. I got to match this somehow. This is how the culture was. I got to match, I got to try to, I, I, I can't do this. He's blessed me so much. How can I, I'm going to take half of what I got and give it to the poor. That's what he said. Now listen to this. I love this. And Jesus doesn't slap him. Uh, but anyway, he says, I'll give half my goods to the poor. Then he says, if I have taken anything from anybody by false accusations. He's a tax collector. Of course he has. Listen to this. This is how wealthy this guy is. You're going to give half to the poor. Just to, uh, give a half. He said, but if I've gotten anything by false accusations, I'm going to restore fourfold. And Jesus says to him, he says, today salvation has come to this house because you are also a son of Abraham. Jesus restored his sonship to Abraham. You're no longer, an, as far as I'm concerned, you're no longer an agent of the Roman Empire. You're a son of Abraham. That's who you are. That's, Jesus is good at reminding us who we really are, not who we're pretending to be. Jesus is not interested in who you're pretending to be. He'll tell you who you really are. You're son of Abraham. You're the daughter of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save that which is lost. That's my purpose here. And Zacchaeus, today, you got it. Whew, the religious people went nuts. Are you kidding me? Look what this man has done. No, Christ has exonerated him. Can you hold it against him when he's exonerated the woman with the issue of blood, can you hold that against her for touching him when she wasn't supposed to against the law because now she has no more issue. She's been healed. Jesus said, no, the Son of Man has come to save that who's lost. I love it. Man, I love it. Zacchaeus was totally irrational, totally undignified in all of this thing, and Jesus thought it was the greatest. The next time somebody gets touched by the Lord and they're dancing around the church and they're, doing, and, and, and they're going through all kinds of crazy stuff, Smile, Jesus is in the place. Amen. Well, I never, well, I, yeah, we probably never will again. Praise the Lord. That's why they have it and you don't. Maybe. Praise the Lord. Maybe. Maybe they've touched into something that the church needs today. It needs a, an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ like it's never had before. That's going to happen. Okay, this is a prophetic message. This is going to happen. 
Zacchaeus had to elevate himself before Christ could elevate him the rest of the way. He had to climb the sycamore tree for a different vantage point. So he had to elevate himself to get a different vantage point. Where's your vantage point? Amen? Praise the Lord. So that's what he did. Amen? Our level of curiosity, that's what Zacchaeus started with, our level of curiosity will determine our level of encounter with him. Our level of curiosity will determine the level of encounter with him. Zacchaeus had to change his position to see Jesus. Both Barnabas and Zacchaeus had to overcome the crowds. Both men needed an impossible change in their life. Both men needed a change in the position to align with the change that was about to happen. In both cases, Jesus didn't demand an encounter with the men. The situation that the men were in demanded an encounter with Jesus. Jesus provided us, provides us, provides for us a place of reconciliation. In both cases, there was an indifference that the crowd had towards these men that desired to have an encounter with Jesus. Indifference is an encounter killer. Both Barnabas and Zacchaeus refused to allow limitations of others and limitations on themselves to keep them from an encounter with Jesus by positioning themselves in the path of Jesus. I'm out of time, but I'm not on a message, but I'm out of time. Praise the Lord. How many got something out of the word this morning? Amen. Hallelujah. We all the time, we're looking for the greatest of God, the greatest of this. When a lot of times, what we need to do is get where Jesus wants us to be. In other words, Jesus stopped on the road for Barnabas, and he wasn't about to change his position. You may not like the position of Jesus. You may want Jesus to come to you. You're blind. You might want to stumble or something else. doesn't matter. Jesus is not going to change his position. But listen to this. Jesus sent somebody to help you come to his position. That's what this church does. Amen. Amen. We help you get there. The spiritually blind, we help you get there. We'll help you get to to the place where Jesus is at. Amen. And from there... Jesus can minister. Amen. Amen. A lot of times it's through water baptism. We have an encounter with Christ. Sometimes it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We have an encounter with Christ. Anything that the Bible talks about is an encounter with Christ when when we're looking for only one thing, Jesus. Amen. 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 And this is the job of the church. I feel this is the job we need to ramp up in everything we do. Amen. We're going through some changes in the church right now doing the, just so we can, we can fine-tune some things uh, to get uh, uh, those gaps and different things that were being missed. I, I re- rearranged some of the leadership and, and so on and so forth this past week uh, just so we, we can cover more area. Praise the Lord. But this is the time, this is the season, this is the hour. I want to be where Jesus is at. I don't want to be so taught up in a wor- world that I can't be where Jesus is at. Because what happens, spiritual blindness will come upon any person that separates himself from Christ. Amen? Amen. The devil immediately comes in with darkness. 
Amen. And confusion. God is not the author of confusion. Satan is. Amen. Praise the Lord. Getting out of the word this morning. This is a subject I could preach on for a long time. Praise the Lord. Let's stand on our feet. Just like I said before, every um, every service, the water, the baptism, the bap- baptistry. I'll get it right. Yeah, <laughs> that Greek word, uh, the baptistry, is uh, is prepared and ready to to um, to bless somebody. Um, it was the last one we, we baptized with Janisa, and we're already she's, now she's working for Lighthouse. Amen. Amen. And uh, a real blessing, a real blessing. It's amazing. I, I look at people like Janisa, and it's amazing how fast the spiritual growth is happening. It's amazing. Pastors can't do that. I can give you the best word in in, in the world. I mean, and, but if if a person doesn't act upon what they hear. It wouldn't do any good. It wouldn't do any good. Amen? Because God has given us the choice. You see, Bartimaeus, you have to come here. Zacchaeus, I decided to change my plans for you. Can you imagine that? I'm no longer passing through Jericho on my way to Jerusalem to save the entire world. I'm going to first stop at your house and have dinner. Jesus interrupted his own trip for a, a, a little crooked, even tax collector. Amen? Amen? Because he had a hunger and he wanted to see Jesus. All he wanted to see, is, that's all the Bible says. I just want to get a vantage point where I can see him coming down the road. And these people won't let me. The crowd, the crowd has closed him out. So what did he do? He rose above the crowd. Let's look for something to rise above the crowd that's trying to keep us from Christ. That crowd may just be you, but the fact is, is let's get rid of anything that keeps us from wanting an encounter of Christ. Father, I pray, and we pray a, a blessing upon this church of everybody who hears this word. I pray, that, Lord, that you give us hearing ears and a receiving heart to hear not what the preacher has said, but what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to each individual in this church and by live stream. It's not the words of the preacher. It's the words of Christ that changes the life. So, Lord, help us to to discern the words of Christ coming through the preacher. Amen. Just the messenger. And we thank you, Lord, for it. In the name of Jesus, may everybody's life be changed for the better. And we thank you, Lord, and we just love the encounters that you've been doing here. But, Lord, we know also that with those encounters comes a great responsibility to rise up and to spread the light of the gospel wherever we can. And we're going to do that in the name of Jesus. We give you praise. And all the church said, Amen. Amen.